And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Uh huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with Andy Bailey. Today, with the regular season over as of yesterday, we are going to talk about... Drum roll, please. <laughs> NBA end of season awards. I know That was an incredible drum roll. That was actually way. really good. And I know this is kind of an unexpected podcast topic because no one's talking about this. Like I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything about who should win MVP over the last. No, not even a whisper. Um, We're also going to sneak in skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6s for just forty nine bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. At the end, and hopefully we won't have to sneak it, we're going to talk about the upcoming playoff matchups, which will basically be Andy listing off the 992 reasons the Utah Jazz are going to the NBA Finals. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to have to come up with like 991 of those over the course of the podcast because I'm pretty worried they're just going to lose in the first round. We should have come up with like a hopeless romantics guide to the playoffs and then just come up with reasons why the Jazz would make it to the finals. <laughs> How is this just now dawning on you? I don't know. But like say Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green were all kidnapped. That would give the Jazz a pretty good shot. By Ostertag. Yeah, and I would be pretty scared by him. Yeah, I would be. I would be plenty worried about him. Um, but before we get to the playoffs, <laughs> uh, we can start with the NBA end of season awards. And as always, I'm gonna leave it to your discretion as to where we start. I'm thinking we should save a certain award for last, but all the other ones I would say are fair game. Okay, so I you're implying MVP for last? Oh no, that's the least. Interesting award. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to start with. Um, let's do a, the non player one super quick. Okay, so, exec, ex, executive of the year. Um, I have three contenders. Which and is fitting because so my, you get three persons per ballot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I got Bob Myers from the Warriors, Dennis Lindsay from the Jazz, and Daryl Morey from the Rockets. For most of the season, I was like a Daryl Morey guy on this. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought he constructed like the perfect Mike D'Antoni roster. Um, and also guys that, that fit with James Harden. But in the end, I, I feel like I got to defer to landing Kevin Durant. 
as simple as that sounds, um, I mean, Bob Myers is also the guy responsible for putting together the team that Durant came to. So that's just kind of a, a culmination of everything he's done. I, I think landing the biggest free agent available last summer, um, I feel comfortable going with Myers on that one. Here's what swayed me for this, because I don't, I don't want to take away from Myers that they were in a position to get Kevin Durant, but there are a few things that happened that were sort of beyond his control. If they, if they win the NBA title, they weren't getting Kevin Durant. So the fact that they lost, That's true. Durant even said, was a factor. He didn't, I, I'm, I'm going to assume he didn't project the salary cap boom and then structured the team accordingly over the last few years. Like, oh, so we can have a run at the big names. That sort of seemed like an opportunistic anomaly, which to the Warriors' credit, they exploited. I'm more impressed with two things. One, the fact that he rounded out the roster with a bunch of quality guys, um, even though the Warriors were short on flexibility after getting Kevin Durant. You put Zaza in place. You put David West in place. You're able to hold on to Ian Clark, who can still shoot the lights out of the ball. And the other thing for me, too, and perhaps most importantly, is he cre- he helped create this culture where you had your best players who in theory should have the biggest egos pitching Durant, even though it was directly going to impact. Yes, it's going to impact the likelihood they win a championship, but it's also going to impact their individual stats. And to have your MVP, your two-time reigning MVP, the first unanimous MVP, to just tell Durant, oh, I don't care about shots, I don't care about shoe deals. And yes, that has a lot to do with the type of person that Stephen Curry is. But when you have this many people, like Draymond Green and Klay Thompson, all kind of saying the same thing, the team and the general manager deserves a, a lion's share of the credit, or a lot of the credit, excuse me, I don't want to say most of it, but deserves to be recognized for doing that. And I think that's what edged him out over Maury, who I think did a fantastic job, but I think D'Antoni himself is more integral to the success of the Rockets than Maury's decision-making was. So you are going with Myers? Yes. I, okay. I had Maury for the longest time, but when I really started to think about it, I picked Bob Myers. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you on that. How about just one second on Dennis Lindsay? Um, who is that? He's the Jazz general manager. Oh, and who are the Jazz? <laughs> so. You didn't um, actually think I didn't know who Dennis Lindsay was, right? I did for a second. <laughs> I was nervous. Like, oh, man, there goes our uh, credibility. But, okay, I'm, I'm back on board with you now. Um, he drafted Rudy Gobert in the 20s. He drafted Rodney Hood in the 20s. Um, and, you know, we could talk about Rodney Hood some other time. He's taking a little bit of a step back, but I think he's a good pick still for the 20s. For sure. Uh, gets Joe Johnson to sign, which was, I think that shocked everyone who covers the NBA. Was there that was the most about, random signing of last summer? It was I'm crazy. Think, I'm, I'm trying to think I of mean, a more random one. I think the guy that people had kind of pegged as a possibility for that role was Jared Dudley. And then to hear Joe Johnson was just, yeah, I, I think it probably was the most random signing. Um, the Boris, Boris Dio trade, who has you know statistically not been great for the Jazz, but to get him for nothing but Olivier Hanlon, who's never even played in the NBA, um, opportunistic to jump on that. Uh, so I just think he did a really good job of, of building a team that could withstand all the injuries that, that Utah suffered this year. He definitely has to be in the top three in my mind. It's tough to, a little tough to evaluate him just because it seems like so many of the things he has done have just been in play for all these years. And now they're all starting to come together at the same time. It's sort of like an iffy area. Oh, do we award this like it's a big picture award or do we, yeah, or are we just basing good. it off of the season? 
that's a good thing. Like, there's no set criteria for any of these awards. So, and that's, um, you know, with general manager, you are trying to build a culture and, you know, everybody says process nowadays. So, but, but yeah, there is no, um, mandate that says that's what the award is about. And I, I think generally it's been more about what happened this year. So again, I, like I said, I'm going Bob Myers on that one. Um, you are too. And then the other non-player award, of course, is coach of the year. Uh, I'll let you start this time. I really wanted to pick Eric Spoelstra, but as when it became clear that he weren't going to make the playoffs last night, I I put Mike D'Antoni just because the, the Heat were so good. And you can justify a Coach Spo pick, but they started out eleven and thirty. Like that team was in that hole to to keep them engaged and to rally them. I get it. I just get it so much. But it was just so weird to pick a coach who wasn't in the playoffs. Which is weird in turn for me to say because I'm not, I'm, I try not to wait winning that much. But when you look at what Mike D'Antoni did with the Rockets, third best record in the league, a lot of people, I know some of them had them at barely 40 wins, but they were kind of in that 45, 46 win area. They blow past that projection. He's vindicated himself even more so than he already was when Steve Kerr won a championship and basically hat tipped him. Um, for it that the fact that the Rockets are this good the offense is this explosive we've seen not only James Harden thrive on the ball but the game he sat where Patrick Beverly just went off the players just work in his system and, and I think he deserves a, a lot of credit for that and, and when you blend that with the winning with the Rockets' place um, in the Western Conference and the league and with what he's done with James Harden I think there's a case to say that he edges out Eric Spolstra, who who I honest to God might have picked if the Heat made the playoffs. Okay, so foreshadowing. Um, I <laughs> was thinking about talking about that Pat Beverly game for a later award, so stay tuned. Um, and I've I've been pro Mike D'Antoni for this award for most of the season, and as is seems like the case with almost all these, <laughs> uh, I kind of changed in the last couple of weeks. And I actually am going to take Spolstra, um, despite the fact that they missed the playoffs. Um, I somebody tweeted out a pretty cool graphic today. It was Shane Young uh, at Young NBA on Twitter. Uh, Miami's offensive rating through the first forty nine for forty one games was twenty ninth. Defensive rating was thirteenth. Net rating twenty fourth. True shooting thirtieth. And record twenty ninth. Last 41 games, offense was eighth, defense was third, net rating was second, true shooting was eighth, and record was second. Um, And all of that, like you said, getting the team to sort of stay together, keep fighting when things weren't going well. I I think of what he did individually for guys like Deion Waiters, James Johnson. He kind of resurrected Goran Dragic's career. Um, And then the other thing is, like I said, I was pro D'Antoni for most of the year, so I hope this doesn't sound like too much of a slight, but I don't feel like he really did anything different than what he's always done. Uh, he just had he just had the perfect Mike D'Antoni roster this season. And I think he does deserve a ton of credit for unleashing hard in the way that he did, but I feel like just the more in-the-trenches coaching job was Spolstra for me. Yeah, I, I see the reasoning. I, you could have picked Coach Popovich, too, because this year... He's, he was you, my number three. When you look at... This might be his best coaching job ever, when you just look at the level of talent surrounded by Kwai. Like, there are yep. good players, don't get me wrong, but, like, Dwayne Dedman 
is uh, all of a sudden we're talking about him as a good player. But if you would have said at the beginning of the season, Dwayne Demon's going to be the starting center for the San Antonio Spurs in mm-hmm. mid-April, you're, no one's going to think that that was a successful season. Kawhi is really the only guy that played. I mean, Kawhi's a superstar, but he's the only one that played at a star level, really, for and that whole team. Some of the defensive numbers with the, the Spurs' lineups, with Pau Gasol and LaMarcus Aldridge and Tony Parker, some combination of them on the floor, or all three of them at the floor at the same time, it's just like, you give credit to Kawhi. I know the numbers are wonky there, but they're certainly impacted by the combinations he plays with. But the Spurs are just this architect of evil genius-esque defenses. If, again, if you're mm-hmm. going to have Pau Gasol, who is basically valuable as a stationary rim protector, and Tony Parker, who is basically about as valuable as a traffic cone on defense this year, and to still have top-notch ratings when, they're shade the, when they share the floor or still be able to concoct lineups where you're going to be that good defensively like like damn I, it's just yeah I don't know how I would have it. I would have no problem with anybody taking Popovich first on this one I, I think he's done a that's a case with a lot of the awards job. this year as yep. I guess the precursor next is like I, I feel as if there's always there's always a couple categories where you say oh whatever so-and-so could win or so-and-so could win there's there's no wrong pick but it's never across the board it's like yeah it's everything this year and that this is like one trend that it's that's uh that i thought about a lot this year is this the level of play this season was unreal so many great individual seasons from across the league and it's reflected in like every single one of these awards is kind of agonizing to try to pick which is great but then like you love or i loved talking about them and analyzing them and watching these guys but then it came time I'm making picks for Bleacher Report, and they said that we could watch all 82 games, and I literally just waited to watch until the 80, like all the games were done because it was so maddening to have it's to. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, let's jump into the players now. I'm, I'm going to start with most improved because I think this is one where this is probably the closest to a consensus. I think, at least from what I've seen on the internet. Um. Yeah. That it, definitely. So I'll let so, you go first there. Yeah, I, I have Giannis. Um, That's in, I'm surprised that you of all people have Giannis instead of Rudy. Yeah, I just uh, I think I feel like Giannis has just made a leap in basically every facet of the game. Um, really, it really sort of started at the end of last season when he was fully entrusted as as the point guard right. uh, or point forward, whatever. But just an across-the-board jump in everything. I, I see the case for Rudy Gobert. Uh, he's certainly much, much better offensively this season. I, I, I feel like he's always been this player on defense, though. Um, he seems to be, and again, you've watched the Jazz way more than I have. I don't ever necessarily remember him defending it seems like he's defending three, two to three players in every pick and roll at once. I, I just, when I watch him, it's just like, it seems like he might be covering a trailer, but while also cutting off dribble penetration, but without yeah. losing sight of the roll man. I don't know that I've ever noticed that from him before. And it's just, it's fascinating. Maybe I just didn't watch closely enough, but he, there are possessions where it seems like he's defending three guys at once. And you, which to that point, I think you could argue that he's made, a bit of a of a leap or a spike on the defensive end as well. That's an interesting side note. Um, 
he probably has improved on that a little bit, but I just want to say that that's one of the reasons people tell me on Twitter that he shouldn't win uh, Defensive Player of the Year is because he can't guard multiple positions, but he does it on every possession, just like you said. Right. Like, he's, he's not going to be a he guy. He guards that multiple you... guys at the same time. Right. You don't want, and he's an actual deterrent. There's just not, yeah. when you, so yeah, that, that argument, you know, you're not going to switch him onto LeBron James in isolation, no. but that's not his job. That, like, and the other thing, like, on the rare occasions that he does get switched out onto a perimeter guy, it's not something that you want to happen regularly, but he can hold his own out there. If we, yeah, if we're uh, ranking big guys who could do it, like, he would be far from the bottom. Yeah, but now we're. I mean, we can we can delve deeper into that into uh, yeah. We're kind of defensive player of the year, <laughs> but um, like I said, I got Yanni. I also I have Jokic. Did you just uh, call him Yanni? Yeah, that's the actual pr- pronunciations. You know that? No. Yeah. This I, is uh, like I a Thon Maker situation where it's Thon McCur or Maker or something. That one I'm still struggling with. Yeah, it's McCur. McCur. Yanni. But Yanni was uh, um, a white Tass dude Mouse. with long hair who sang classical music and played the <laughs> piano, I think. Yes. Um, there's that Yanni, but there's <laughs> also Yanni Anadokounmpo, which at least I, I'm just going by what Tass Mellis, uh, Greek NBA expert, had to say on the starters. I've just been sticking with that for a while. I'm but my other ones noticed. on that award were uh, Jokic, and I think there's a pretty strong case for James Johnson, but I'm, I'm going with Anadokounmpo. I'm with you there. I Rudy Gobert would be my two, but Giannis Antetokounmpo just made a different type of leap, and he was able he made a bigger leap on both ends of the floor because there was more room for him to grow on defense than there was for Rudy, who was already so good. And that you, you can't necessarily hold that against him. But when you combine that with the offensive responsibilities that he shoulders, mm-hmm. there's just no comparison there. And he is everything to that Bucks team. And and finishing in the top 20 of every st- statistical category, uh, just looking at how no one's even come close to putting up his his numbers. You watch how he's run more pick and rolls than some point guards, but he's contested more shots at the rim as a primary rim protector than a it's lot of conventional bigs. It's just, and he's done he's done okay as a rim protector. Like he's been good. So it's just, I, I don't I don't know how you don't pick him in my mind. This would have to be the closest thing to a consensus. I'll listen to arguments for Rudy Gobert for sure, and if you put him as the, the first overall, so I'm sure some people will. I don't think that's egregious. Miles Turner and Nicole Jokic are interesting, but it's always so tough to judge. Uh, second-year guys. Yeah, second-year guys. Yeah. So I, I would think Giannis is – or Yanni, excuse me, is <laughs> is the clear winner of this award, and that's that's the only clear winner I think we have. Yeah, I, and one more thing on him is it's kind of crazy to think that there is at least one more level for him to get to. I, I think he shot around 27% on threes. Um, if that even gets up to like 33 or 34, my goodness. The, yeah, I mean, he's he's only 22. He I was I covered a Bucks nets game, I think, in December or November or something, and he said that he's had conversations with Dirk about going to work out with Dirk Nowitzki. I, I don't know how. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how legitimate um, or how serious he is about those. That would be awesome. He's and He uh, should hook him up with, Dirk should hook him up with uh, Holger Geschwinder, his famous shooting coach. Well, that's that's that was the thing is he's going to work it's with both be. of them. Okay, over wow, the summer. that's awesome. That's incredible. The, 
The thing is, though, and these numbers aren't... I mean, his three-point shooting in the corners is awful, which is definitely concerning. He shot... Actually, let me look. Yeah, he shot in the corners for his career. He's shooting 17.1% from the wow. corners. So, oh, no. Well, I'm wrong. He's shooting 23.4% from the corners, which is still terrible. Yeah, he, it's still. He's yeah. okay on long twos. Like, he shot 34.2% between 16 feet and the three-point line. That's down from 35.9% last year, which was down from 39.3% as a sophomore. It's It's, again, it's like as my slack goes off in the background, it's, it's again, like uh, there's room to grow there, but there have been, he can take them. And I, I think his percentage on long twos, it's not good, but I guess you can use it as like, um, encouraging. And, and so maybe he does get there. And if, if he's improved this much in all these other areas, and if he's so committed to, I think one of his quotes that night was just like, I'm just going to let it fly so that he's just going to keep shooting them. Like then do it. And, and again, he's only 22. So if he's yeah, gonna, he's got plenty of time. Right. So we're and he's got a coach who didn't figure out how to shoot threes until he was in his thirties. So, right, yeah, that too. And you know, Malcolm Brogdon's going to make life a lot easier on him in the years to come. Yep. So and with Chris Middleton back, so um, very exciting future for the Bucks still. Yes, uh, I do question about the Jabari. There fit. is yeah, there's a little bit of a fit issue arising there, there's, but we still haven't really seen. The full str- yeah, if Middleton yeah, maybe looks different. Yeah, see them all together for right. a little bit. Yeah. You need Monroe's not going to be the answer in the middle with Parker. I'm not sure Henson is either because he's he doesn't look like he's a good enough. Oh yeah, oh my God! If Thon Maker hits, I can't. Thon McCor, um hits. He's got to be able to protect the rim. Yeah, and he's. Shot. I actually just tweeted out a stat about Thon. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but rookie seven footers who took fifty plus threes, uh, sorted by three point percentage. Thon was first. How many? How how big of like a person sample size was that? There was quite a few. I don't have the okay. list pulled. I just have the top five. It's Thon, I mean, Arvita, Sabonis, Bargs. He was at over Joel forty Lim- for the longest time, and then he dropped to like thirty-seven yeah, or thirty-eight. Yeah. So, yeah. which is still, I mean, I mean that's pretty you, impressive to me. So if you that's have him, yeah, if you hit on him defensively, and you have Middleton, and you have Giannis, then you can work with Jabari at the four. But that mm-hmm. it'll be interesting, and they need the opportunity. And of course, Jabari's injuries are of concern. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. Um, I guess that would bring us to we should probably go in. We should probably just go to defensive player of the year since we kind of just dipped into that already. Okay. Mike, um, I think you. Yeah. I'll defer to you again on this one. Mine's really obvious, is what I was going to say. Oh my God, <laughs> you're you're picking Jared Dudley too. Uh, not this time. Uh, I, I'm saving him for next year. It might be his turn since that's how this award seems to go so often. <laughs> uh, I, I, to me, it's pretty, again, I, I should say that I wouldn't be upset if another guy wins it. Um, you won't even like say the dude's name. A couple times <laughs> if Draymond <laughs> wins it, but it's Gobert, right? I have Draymond. Oh my goodness. Okay. I, we'll, We'll this, let you present your case first. This is this is a situation similar to quote of the year where it's as if if either one of them wins, there's no there's no wrong answer. There might be yeah. someone said this on Twitter. I'm gonna I can't remember who it was, but it said there's no right answer then either because you're gonna feel like crap <laughs> no matter who you pick for. The thing is, is everything Rudy Gobert does, Draymond Green almost does while being shorter, but also while switching on. 
to these elite wings and point guards more frequently. And that's kind of my argument for him in a nutshell is, and it might be easier to notice. <laughs> you just text me on the side that beep. This is terrible. Yep. I, I sent you some of my evidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those and one of my witnesses home, as well. And who can't, who can't, can't see as I'm talking about why Draymond Green should win uh, Defensive Player of the Year. And he sends me a text message with the link to the tweet of Evan Fournier quoting Andy's tweet about where Gobert finished um, in defensive categories. And he was just. And of course, Evan Fournier says Rudy Gobert is the Defensive Player of the Year. It's an open and shut case. Uh, I guess if Evan Fournier says it, that must, that must make my. That's almost would be almost as bad as if Beno Udre said that Rigo Barrett. Uh, I gotta, I gotta talk to him, get him on board too. <laughs> I, I just again, that's my that's my reasoning there. When I watch Draymond Green, it just feels like he's not that he impacts the game more than Gobert, but he's doing to me more than Gobert, and they have similar impacts, but. To Gobert's credit, and if I'm going to hedge here, I'm going to do it this way, he's, he's proof that a traditional big man can be in today's NBA and not just thrive but be a superstar because it's like we kind of talked about before. No, you're not going to switch him like you are some of these more modern-day towers, but when he does it, like he still survives, and he knows how to what he might lack in foot speed compared to LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard. He's just... He, he makes up for it with his IQ and using his length and his foot positioning. Like, he's he's so precise in everything he does defensively. And I credit him a lot for that. But uh, and may, maybe I'm even being impacted by the fact that Draymond could have won each of the last two years, and it doesn't seem like he's fallen off in the slightest. But just watching him overall and all the hats that he wears, I'm always left borderline astounded. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, Whoa. (laughs) Here's my argument for Rudy. And I I will say again that Draymond winning is, it's not absurd to me. Um, In fact, he's, he's plenty deserving, but when I look at, and and this, this argument has kind of been blown up in the last couple of months with the Kevin Durant injury. But for much of the season, uh, I felt like, Green had a little bit more help defensively. Kevin Durant had a great defensive season. Clay Thompson, uh, while his numbers don't always back it up, he still has a pretty strong reputation as a good defensive player. He's a fantastic uh, Zaza's a, on-ball defender. I, yeah, it's, it's and Zaza's even... a good positional defender. When I look at the Jazz, um, while they have some plus defenders, George Hill is a good one, but he was hurt for at, at least a third of the season. Gordon Hayward's pretty underrated there, but their defense would fall apart without Gobert. He's he's literally somebody told me today that the only reason Rudy Gobert's in the defensive player of the year conversation is because of Quinn Snyder's system. Uh Rudy Gobert is the system. Like <laughs> literally everything they do defensively is predicated on the fact that they have Rudy Gobert. They have guards who um will overplay on the perimeter because they know they got Rudy back there to clean it up. They play the pick and roll a certain way because they have Rudy Gobert. Um they play they they play a slow offense because they have Rudy Gobert and they want to they want to stop transition like everything is because of this guy and the other argument that i have for Gobert and this is another one that people have thrown at me on twitter a lot for Draymond is that he guards multiple different positions which is true 
and he can he can isolate on a point guard or a or a center. Um, there have been so many possessions this season where Gobert literally guards like four or five guys in one possession, and anybody who comes within ten feet of the rim is technically his guy in Utah's system. And for them to to be as good as they are defensively, relying so much on one guy is is just incredible to me. Uh, I don't disagree. Um, again, I, it might just come back for me. It comes back to I do think Draymond wears slightly more hats, even when it comes down to the wow down, even when it comes down to the work that that gets done in transition. Uh, is he's going to be he, he's going to be more active there, kind of organically, because in his position you're kind of supposed to be up and down the floor more. He's in more of a position to do that, but. To uh, again, it's splitting hairs, and I, I think this is another category where if Gobert wins, I could be like, yeah, he he definitely deserved it, and if Green wins, he he deserved it. I if if they vote for Kawhi again, because I know he was kind of the first year he won, people were kind of like a little surprised. Everyone thought it was going to Draymond. I I, I think it could go to either of those three guys without much issue. I can't. I mean, I I still think that Kawhi is great defensively, and I think some of the on-off numbers are a little wonky, like you said earlier. But he, I can't get behind him over those two this year. I think he's taken a slight step back. Well, he's he's assuming so much more responsibility on offense, and I agree yeah, that he's taking a step is... back. I wouldn't put him in front of the other three, but I I think this is one of those situations where we talk about if the eye test ever had to trump the numbers, this would be a yeah, case. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um. So that. Is that our first disagreement? No, we disagreed on coach too. That was a friendly uh, disagreement, though. I kind of feel this hostility just emanating this one was, from your. Yeah, head. this one was a little bit better. Um, let's jump to sixth man of the year then. And, I, I think uh, we're about to win your love back. Okay, since I started on defense, you go with you start on sixth man. I'm picking James Johnson. Yes, um, another agreement. He again, the Heat didn't make the playoffs, and I know a lot of these guys. There are two things about these awards: is one, it normally goes to the person who's averaging the most points per game. S M O I is shorthand for PPG, um, <laughs> and or and normally they come from good teams, for the most part. And the Miami Heat were a good team. James Johnson was just absolutely fantastic. You can chalk it up to the Heat's voodoo, like that's fine. The dude dropped twenty five, thirty pounds. He played a little bit of center. He brought the ball up the floor. He shot closer to a league average rate from three-point range, was able to play off the ball a little bit, but was also running pick-and-rolls, and yet he could be the role man in those pick-and-rolls. Watching him, sometimes it doesn't always feel like he's playing at full speed, and yet he's in every play. It's, mm-hmm. it's not to say that he's not playing at full speed, but there are just moments where, because he's so athletic and explosive, but it's disarming explosiveness because he's so kind of casual and and cavalier about how he's he like a, up the uh, ball. I think he's he's gotten to be pretty good at changing gears. Do you know who he reminds like me he of? Like he knows bit? when to explode. Do you Go know ahead. who he rem- like in terms of just sheer like what you just said. I'm not talking about shot selection, but DeMar DeRozan. Like James Johnson mm-hmm. seems like a bigger version of De- like he's so patient and methodical Nobody but then he rushes him. Team. Yeah. I could see that. Um so that's where I'm at with him and this was a stat that I don't even know if it's still accurate. I'm just going to assume that it is. Um, there was five players in the East who led their team, according to NBA Matt's total points added, in both offensive and defensive value. It was James Johnson, Jimmy Butler, Giannis Attentacumpo, and LeBron James, I think, were the players. Wow, I didn't know that. Like, that's just, to me, that's just, you know, that's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. I think 
so that that makes a pretty good argument that he was Miami's best player. I was thinking earlier today when I was looking stuff up that it's either him or Dragic. I think um, Dragic is probably their best, but there's a case he's clearly their best two player, and maybe you can make the case. And I, I know this is kind of a weird line to draw. Maybe he was their most valuable, but Goran Dragic was clearly their best because the Heat's drop off on defense without Johnson uh, isn't as stark it as it big. would be. It was big, but it wasn't as stark as what happens to their offense with the without offense. Goran. Okay, I see where you're going. Um, yeah, I went with Johnson too. I, I agree with everything you said. Um, I want to shout out that stat that you shared with me yesterday. Just his total, was it total points, rebounds, what what all was in there? Um, I can tell you. Um, It was like total points, rebounds, assists. It was total. Blocks, steals. Yeah, only one player has matched his total points, um, assists, steals, blocks, and made three-pointers. And who okay. was that player? And it was Boogie Cousins. Yes. Which is crazy. Like I never would have I never would have thought especially in total. Like I would think maybe in uh rebounding percentage and stuff like that. Like prorated, yeah. But the- total production for him to, to be in a group that only includes cousins, that that really surprised me. That- um and I was already James Johnson for six men before I saw that. And and that really pushed me over the top. I think um, I want to take a second to talk about the guy who might win it or who seems like he might win it, Eric Gordon. Um, like you said, sixth man of the year has so often just been a replacement for points per game. And I, I really don't see what else Eric Gordon brings to the table besides hitting threes, which is obviously important in Houston's system, but he's a minus in other areas of the game. He just doesn't – he doesn't – he doesn't do it for me. I would vote for Andre Iguodala as number two over Eric. Yeah, I have Iguodala number two as well. I, my, my top three for this one was James Johnson, Iguodala, and Lou Williams. Lou Williams, to me, kind of got disqualified once he was traded to the, the Rockets because was he he wasn't really the you know um, the sixth man. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember who my third pick was. I, I'm not even sure I had Eric Gordon on my ballot. I didn't. I did not. If if you um, I hope I don't mess this up too bad. But if you sort uh, players who started fewer than thirty games this season by uh, wins over replacement player, he's in like the fifties or something. Oh wow! Just because, like I said, about all he does is shoot threes. He's he's not going to help you on the defensive end. Uh, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't do a whole lot to create for others. Um. No, I, I don't. I think it's fine that he's in the conversation because for so long that's that's what sixth man of the year has been. But um, he and wouldn't was, be in my ballot. Yeah, for a for like a and and for a good chunk of the season, he was just on fire offensively. Yeah, I think a lot of his uh, candidacy has been carried by the early season. Right. I don't. Do you know who's third in uh, wins over replacement player off the bench besides Iguodala and Johnson? I do not. Joe Ingles. Whew. I might have that. I, He's an interesting one to throw in this conversation. I honestly. think I'm, I'm actually not going to lie. I think he was my third pick. I think, he, he's been ridiculous off Utah's bench. He's been fantastic. I, I would be curious to see how he works on a faster paced team because you can mm-hmm. see it working on offense, but when he has to expend more energy getting up and down the court for offense, would his defense hold this strong? But 
Uh, again, he's the fact that he's shown he can really switch onto and stick with contemporary. His defense wins. has been very surprised. Like that's that's surprised everybody this year. Well, he's like sh- their go-to defender down the stretch. He's the guy that they'll throw on LeBron. Right, for the he, last, like, as I wrote, I ranked the top 50 free agents this summer, and I, I put him at number 18, and I, I considered putting him higher. But he's been – I'm so interested to see about, what he uh, gets. Do you know about my Joe Ingles club? You have a – excuse me? <laughs> so I, instead of the 50-40-90 club, I, I made the – I uh, came up with the Joe Ingles club. Players who qualify for the three-point percentage leaderboard um, – have a true shooting percentage over 600, an assist percentage over 15, and a steal percentage over two. And this year's members are Joe Ingles, of course, the president, um, <laughs> Seth and Steph Curry, Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, Mike Conley, and Kawhi Leonard. That's literally just absurd. What is he going to get in free agency? It Someone... scares me, man, as a jazz fan. It really does. Someone tweeted at me 333. Three years and thirty-three million, and I almost feel like that's low. That in a heartbeat, if I was Utah. What's that? Oh yeah, I said I'd do that in a heartbeat if I was Utah. Yeah, it's gonna, it'll be very surprising to, unless it's because he's signing a short-term deal uh, because he's getting a crap ton of money. It would surprise me if he's not signing a four-year deal. Like, why not just? You just had a season where someone, someone would give him four and forty. That's just without yeah. question. So why wouldn't you? And I hope it's Utah. Well, unless it's four years and sixty or something crazy. Yeah. I don't know that that type of money will be out there, but he's he's getting into eight figures pretty comfortably. Yeah, I think so too. So I that I, I would put him in the conversation too. And and I might have just talked myself out of Lou Williams for third. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. It doesn't it doesn't take long for me to to jump on a Joe Ingles bandwagon, as you can see. Apparently not. Um, <laughs> how long is it going to take for you to make your pick for rookie of the year though? Um, this is another one that I changed in like the last two weeks. So when, when Embiid went down for the season, I thought that's it. He's out. I'm not considering him for rookie of the year. And I, I was all Malcolm Brogdon, but I feel like I just, I'm just going to go ahead and do it and say, Joel Embiid, I I'm throwing him in there for rookie of the year. See, I was the opposite. 31 total games. When he went down, I was like, there's no way. Like, this is a lock. He's going to win it. But then you go through the season, and then you start to see how many games he actually missed. And we're voting on rookie of the year. We're not yeah. voting on rookie who's going like to. Two months. <laughs> and, yeah, right. And we're not. This isn't. Maybe it's a commendation on where you think the player's going for his career, but it's not us saying this player's going to be better than player X for the rest yeah. of his career. So I go with Malcolm Brogdon, who played in 75 games. He, Which is who uh, I, I'm. I'm fine with this. This is somebody I was behind for a lot of the season. But go ahead. He was he was valuable to a playoff team for the entire year. Like that. That's yeah. my. There was look at these ranks. So one availability is a skill. So he had 75 games and he logged almost three times as many minutes as Joel Embiid. Um, among the 57 rookies to average 15 minutes per game, Brogdon ranked fifth in scoring second in assists per 100 possessions, third in steal rate, and first in three-point percentage. That's a complete, He's got a very strong case, yeah. Right, that's a very strong year. And just watching him, he, he slumped a little bit at different points, but he's very good at defending the pick and roll. 
He's just, he's phenomenal. He's already better than Matthew Delvadova. He's a perfect complement to Giannis because he can play off the ball. I just, Embiid is going to be the better player if he stays healthy, but Brogdon had the more balanced and more complete year. And I, I make the same case for Dario Saric. His role was a little bit different. He came on late. Uh, I just think Brogdon has been there all year. And if I'm going to use the excuse, well, Joel Embiid was injured for most of the year, I'm going to go with the guy who from wire to wire was just there and con- the most consistent. And I think that was him. What I will say, what makes me a hypocrite, is when I was filling out my ballot for NBA math, since I filled out 80 ballots this year, I did have Joel Embiid third. But Zach Lowe made an interesting point in his, his picks today of ESPN.com saying, I'm not putting him third because if you're considering him, he should be first. And, and I do agree with that. I don't even think Joel Embiid should be in the top three. You can throw him on an, on an all-rookie team. That's fine. But if you're going to actually consider him, then it should be like what you said. Don't be half pregnant. Just, just <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with everything. I thought Brogdon was awesome this year. Um, the arguments for Sarich over Brogdon never really appealed to me. Um, the thing with Embiid is when he was when he was playing. Um, gosh, I think when he was on the floor, Philly's net rating was like almost plus four, so better than um, they were. You know, a lot of the playoff the teams in the East. Yeah, he averaged twenty nine, eleven, three. 29 points, 11 rebounds, 4 blocks, 3 assists per 36. Shot 47% from the field, 37% from 3 as a 7-foot-2 center. Um, and really what what put me over the top for uh, the injuries, yeah, he only played 31 games, but he still finishes the season uh, with the most wins over replacement player of any rookie. And I th- I'm, I'm going to see if he has the most win shares, too, in just a second. Um, that win shares is Brogdon, so that goes to you. Um, but to me, it's just it was he was clearly the best rookie, and, and when he was on the floor, I, I totally get the argument that <laughs> you shouldn't be even eligible if you played one-third of the season. But um, I'm, I'm just on board with Joel Embiid now, and he's, I'm, I'm going to go with him for rookie of the year. Uh, it's I, I would listen to it, and I like what you did. Let's not put him on. I don't like what I did, so I'm insulting myself here. Uh, <laughs> you might as well just, if, if you're going to put him on, commit to it. Yeah. So I admire your choice, even though it's wrong, is basically <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, boy, does that is that it? That leaves us with MVP. Yeah, I think the roofers um, at your house are very excited to hear it. Yeah, I was gonna I was going to ask, actually, if you can hear that now. Yes, it sounds like it's it's been quite an ordeal here at the Bailey household with these roofers. I'll tell you what. Andy keeps talking about pounding, but he won't <laughs> specify what is happening, so we don't necessarily know the origin of this. I'll, I'll let their minds wander on that. Um, so we're at MVP, and I've personally I've waffled on this. I've put four different guys at number one. I, it's honestly happened, and it took me until probably about Wednesday night until I really just solidified my decision. But I'm interested to hear who your pick is. I don't know if I have (laughs) a solidified decision. Um, 
Well, this is it. Once you say this it, is, you're yeah. on record. I don't want to get. I, I don't want to get a text a at three o'clock in the morning. Yo, can you edit the podcast to put Rudy Gobert as my MVP? You have to impersonate my voice and change it <laughs> to Rudy um, Gobert. I actually have said it a couple of radio spots that, and, I, and I'll just keep going with it here. Um, I'm going to take Westbrook, and I was James Harden for most of the season. Uh, I was LeBron James for a little bit. I don't know if I ever fully got on board. Uh, with the Kawhi Leonard argument, although Zach Lowe made a great argument for it um, in his column today. The, I mean, those are obviously the top four. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. Rudy Gobert's fifth. Oh. But, yeah, I'll say, I'll say Russell Westbrook first. So this is why I shouldn't be on radio shows. On about <laughs> the past, let's say, 15 to 20 spots I've done, I've probably named – uh, four, all four MVPs. So, <laughs> We're going to have to compile that into a, like some kind of super cut. Right. The, the inconsistency is off the charts right now. I finally settled on because I know that people are dying to hear about what someone who doesn't have an official vote thinks about the MVP <laughs> award. I settled on James Harden. I don't even know if Russell Westbrook was second on my ballot since I didn't really hash it out. This comes with the caveat that earlier this week, I texted Hardwood Knox alum Adam Frommel and told him that I changed my MVP pick, MVP pick to Russell. And I think, I honestly think I was swayed by some of his performances down the stretch, the Thunder's record in his triple doubles. He has a case. That team is nothing without him. Yeah, that's my main case right there, what you just said. But go ahead. But James Harden, his numbers have been similar. They're still unprecedented. He takes the the Houston Rockets offense to incredible heights, historical heights when he's on the floor, despite all of Russell Westbrook's offensive accolades or his so-called value, the Thunder's offense isn't that great when he's on the floor. It's not top 10. I don't think it's probably around top 12 in terms of points per 100 possessions. I just, I I get it. What he did was special. I don't want to take away if he wins, you know, he wins. I kind of expect him to win at this point, but Harden, he seems to blend. He better blends everything that we unofficially take into account. So there's the narrative aspect where the Rockets kind of flamed out last season. He had such a bad defensive performance. Uh, they hired an offensive coach when they needed a defensive mind. He didn't get along with Dwight Howard, blah, 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 blah. He was in tabloids. Comes back. His defense was okay this year. I would argue the stats will say otherwise because Russell Westbrook is an intense defensive rebounder. I would argue James Harden was better on the defensive end, or at least not worse than Russell Westbrook. Uh, his, the offensive roles, he assumes, for the Rockets is just incredible to me. He's more efficient when you factor in the advanced shooting percentages. He, uh, he assumed more of a different play style to me than Russell Westbrook did. They unleashed him as point guard. And his adjustment should have been steeper than Russell Westbrook. So I'm not saying that the Rockets should have been worse. I'm saying that James Harden's learning curve should have been steeper than Russell Westbrook's, who has gotten to play this way for basically the past two and a half years. Whenever Durant had that first injury, that kind of unlocked a version of Westbrook, who took a step back when Durant was on the court, but he still played like that. And then the Rockets won. Like, it's just if you care about winning, that has to matter into a two. It matters very little to me, but it does matter – to me, in this sense, the, the Rockets were already supposed to be a 45-50 win team, and yet they won more than that. That's that's going to be harder. Those wins are harder to get than taking what many people think a Thunder team 
I'll, I'll put it. To, I'll say it this way: So if we took Russell Westbrook off the Thunder, you would think they would win. Let's say, what twenty games? It's harder to take uh, a team that would probably win thirty-five or forty without you to take them to fifty plus than it is to take a twenty-win team into the forties, just because there are less wins for you to recoup. And when I just combine all that, to me, it seems that Harden has the most complete case. My final caveat would be if the Cavaliers did not implode down the stretch, if their defense was even slightly better, if LeBron James was even slightly more engaged on a consistent basis, I probably would have picked him. Yeah, I was I was actually starting to jump on LeBron James for MVP around the end of February. Um, and that's right before they kind of fell apart. And that, that eliminated him for me. Um, James Harden, like we've said many times, there's, there's, there really is more than one deserving candidate this year. Um, first thing with James Harden for me, though, is while he has been incredible and I would have no problem with him winning MVP, to me there is a little bit uh, of this award that's kind of shared by Mike D'Antoni. Uh, look at what Mike D'Antoni did with Chris Duhon for the New York Knicks or with Jeremy Lin for the New York Knicks or Steve Nash with the Phoenix Suns. Um, and like I said earlier, you, you actually teased it for me. Um, one of those games when James Harden was out this season, Patrick Beverly steps in and has like a 20-10-10 and 10 night. Um, I think, and while it's, it's obviously not all Mike D'Antoni, I think he deserves a lot of credit for what happened with, with James Harden this season. Um, Russell Westbrook, uh, like you said, I, I don't, I don't think this team is anything without him. Um, in, in terms of the offense, not being great with him on the floor, he spends a lot of his time on the floor with guys who just aren't good at offense. He, he, he plays with Andre Roberson. Um, I think Steven Adams, Rise was greatly overstated uh, after the last playoff run. Um, for Russell Westbrook to be able to, to carry them to 46 wins and, and to be in the playoffs after losing Kevin Durant, who was probably one of the three best players in the league, definitely one of the five best players in the league, for them to not fall off um, is really impressive to me. And I... I've tried not to cite the triple doubles uh, as a reason for his candidacy, but it is something that you, you can't ignore. Uh, nobody, I mean, I can't remember who put it to me this way, and I feel bad that, that, I, that I don't. Um, even just like two years ago, if somebody had told you a player will average a triple double in the NBA in a couple of years, there's absolutely no way you would have believed him. It just seemed like one of those things that was never, ever going to get broken. It's like Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points or Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak. It was just completely unattainable. The game was never going to be played in a way that allowed a player to do that again. And when, when Oscar Robertson did it, he played well over 40 minutes a game. He played at a much faster pace than the game is played now. Nobody played defense um, back then, at least not the way they do now. The, the, the athleticism um, of defenses now is just, it's miles better than it was in the 60s. It just, it seemed like something that was impossible and it happened. And it's, it's crazy to me. And I, I think that, um, again, that's not the whole argument for me, 
uh, I, I think he has a strong case if you don't mention triple doubles at all, but it's it's part of it, and I think everything together uh, puts me on on for Russell Westbrook on this. Yeah, it's just uh, it, it's a it's a tough decision, and I honestly think all four of those guys could get first place votes, and this is a situation where you can't discredit that. There are going to be people are going to be pissed regardless of who wins, but th- yep. the race is just so tight. And uh, yeah, Russell Westbrook's fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from him, but w- when it's this close, I kind of have to just think, who is the guy that's going to be able to uplift his team further if all things were equal? And I think that guy and would I think, be James Harden. Yeah, I think there's a lot to – Bill Simmons keeps saying um, on his podcast that he, he can't get over voting for someone who has no chance to win a title. And I, I think that's – probably part of the equation too and that that obviously goes um that obviously helps harden in this argument but i just (laughs) the totality of everything that he did um it's westbrook for me but i'm i agree with you in the sense that any of these four guys getting first place votes makes sense to me who do you think who do you think is gonna win do you think it's your pick um, like I can't, if I'm I Zach think the Lowe, groundswell instance, of the last like couple weeks makes me think it's going to be Westbrook. That's, that's how I feel. So I'm, and I think for Harden. most of the season, I think for most of the season, it was kind of, uh, James Harden, but there's, there seems to be some kind of, uh, shift in the winds in the last couple of weeks. It seems like more people are starting to talk about Westbrook. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know if that has something like to do with it. we said before the podcast, it's kind of annoying that we have to wait until June 26th to find out. I'm wondering what that'll do to the Rockets-Thunder playoff series, which is kind of a good segue. That was here. another thing that would have been – I think that would have made that series even more interesting if they would have announced it before or during that series. Right. Can you imagine like, if Westbrook did lose the award to Harden, like what he would do in that series? I uh, – I get, well, can we put it past them to want to make a statement even now? Because it's like, yeah. you know, looking That's back, true, could could the MVP choice be sullied by what happens in the playoffs? But so, like, okay, here, scenario: like if, what if, if the Rockets sweep? Yeah, steamroll yeah. Oklahoma City, but Russell Westbrook wins the MVP. To me, that's another reason to to release the results now or sooner. Yeah, I think the award show is a, is a fine idea. Like, I like it, but... Because uh, the voting has to be... When does the voting have to be in? That I don't know. I think it's already had to be in. Yeah, so in that case... it's only a regular season award. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, would, that would make the, the process look kind of weird if they just get crushed by the Rockets and then he's announced the MVP. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, won't, it won't be a huge thing, but I, I agree. It could solely it, like you said. Perception of it, so yeah. But that's kind of a good segue for us to get into um, the playoff matchups that we now know. Yeah. So let's start with, what do you want to do, West or East first? Um, should we just do like real quick hitter predictions on each of them and then get deeper into the series next week? Um, Does that work for you? Yeah. If you <laughs> Planning want. mid-podcast. I mean, if you, you guys have... are getting a little uh, inside baseball look right now. <laughs> Why do you got to bounce? Um, yes, not right now, but let's we'll, try we can... and do. We'll try and do every series in like a minute, ninety seconds, or something. Okay. 
right, Warriors so, uh, Blazers. We'll go west. I'm, I got. I'm apparently taking control. <laughs> yeah, good, good job. Um, Warriors easily, even though. Uh, Do the Blazers get a game? No, I'm gonna say sweep. One sweep thing it. that's funny about this series to me is, uh, <laughs> once again, everybody's making a big deal about an underdog predicting that their team will win. Um, well, I, I don't understand <laughs> what the media wants. From this, did they want Damian Lillard well, to say that his you, team was going to lose? Did you see what the question was? No, all I saw was the they, quote. Someone jokingly said to him, "Blazers in six or seven. So they didn't even give him the oh, option of picking gosh. the Warriors. So even more ridiculous than usual, right? So it's it's not. But like, yeah, I think the Warriors. I think the Warriors probably sweep that one. It's not like he held a, like a special press conference and was like, "Yeah, that's ridiculous." Yeah. So um, even if uh, one more point on that, I. One of the th- reasons that the war- or that the Blazers got in in the first place was Yusuf Nurkic, and he might not even play. So it's it's really hard to see them winning a game. One last point on that: it's ironic that the uh, the Nuggets ended up trading uh, the guy to yeah, the team they were crazy. competing with that helped spur a playoff run. Crazy. The other formality series in the West: Spurs Grizzlies. Tony yeah, Allen will like not be healthy for that. Too. I don't think that matters a great deal. They've been able to defend pretty well without him. Uh, I'll say Grizzlies in five. You mean Spurs? Oh yes, yeah, Spurs in five. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I I do feel like this is a formality too. I think they I think Memphis has enough veterans who have playoff experience and really care to maybe get a game or two, um, but it's never going to really seem in question for San Antonio. So I'll say I'll say Spurs in five too. All right, we are in agreement so far. Um, what about Rockets Thunder? This one is actually. This is probably the hardest series to me. Um, I read an article from Kevin Pelton today that was like listed each series by percentage of or by chances of an upset. And this one was like seventh or something. So he thinks that the Rockets are going to roll. But this is this is a tough one for me. Um, I ended up I think I made predictions on Twitter the other day. I ended up going Rockets in seven. That would be my prediction as well. It's going to be. If we're wrong, it's going to be because the Rockets won in, like, four. There's going to be no in-between for this series. It's either yeah. going to come down to the wire or the Rockets are just going to beat the living crap out of the Thunder. How many uh, – this is uh, just something that came to me. How many triple-doubles in that series? Combined? Combining, yeah, combining Harden and Westbrook. I'm going to set the <laughs> – If so there's seven games. Four. If there's seven games, I'll set the over-under at ten. No, wait. Okay. No, no, no. Let's say eight. Sorry. I don't know why I said ten. Because Russell Westbrook's probably I almost, average. I almost took the over when even when you said ten. Well, for that to happen, that'd be insane. That means each guy's getting five, five out of seven games. Russell, I think Russell will get one in every game. So that could be where your seven that series comes is going to be crazy, man. I, I really nice. think it is. We're both at Rockets in seven, though. This is the one. Yeah. Man, we're three for three right now. Um, Clippers Jazz is going to be weird. Um. Yeah, it hurts me to say it, but I'm, I'm I got Clippers in six, and I've been saying five. I just now switched to six in the spur of the moment. Uh, we're on the same page here as well. The these are, I guess, this is both an encouraging and discouraging sign. Is the season series between these two teams unfolded exactly how the Jazz would want in terms of the way the games were played, and yet the Clippers still owned them. So yeah, on the one hand, problem. it's concerning. But on the other hand, it's like, well, we were able to play our game, so maybe we could just get healthy and get better. But I think the Clippers will 
take them in six. It wouldn't surprise me if this went to seven. It also wouldn't shock me if the Jazz won. If we would have been having this discussion about a month ago, I probably would have picked the Jazz in like five or six. I kid you not. The Clippers, to me, I think there's an argument still that they're the second most talented team in the West. And with all of their psychological issues, it's it's they still really scare me. Like if they come together for one series, I don't I don't think Utah has enough talent. They have so many stars. But like when you just look, I would take the Rockets and the Spurs against the Warriors before the Clippers. The Warriors have absolutely owned the Clippers over the last like two. Well, I know. Yeah, I'm not saying they have a chance against the Warriors. No, but I'm saying if you're saying they're the second most talented team, I would want either of the Jazz, Spurs, Rockets going up against the Warriors before I would want the Clippers to. Yeah, that could just be a matchup. I think there's like a mentality thing with that series, like a big brother, little brother, which is actually, I think there is that in the Clippers-Jazz series too. Like Warriors are to Clippers as Clippers are to Jazz. That's fair. I like it. Um. You want to okay, let's off jump the over now? to the East. Yeah, I Chicago Boston is like kind of interesting to me. Um, Chicago has been all over the place this season. They've had individual players who've been all over the place, but Rondo is suddenly playing okay. Uh, Dwayne Wade is healthy. Jimmy Butler has been really good all season. Having said all that, uh, I take Boston in six, but. It would be so crazy if, like, Jimmy Butler knocked off Boston after they had a chance to trade for him in February. Yeah, I'm with you again, Boston in six. We're five for five. This is incredible. Wow, this is crazy. People, <laughs> we did not discuss this beforehand. No, people, people underestimate Boston, in my opinion. But the Bulls have played oddly competent against good teams. Um, Wayne Wade oddly also, competent should be their, like, tagline. Yeah. This. <laughs> Whenever they're on national television. Yeah, there you go. They just, they don't, when they have all their quote-unquote best players on the floor, that's not when they're at their best, which is the problem. But taking a playoff series with Jimmy Butler, the Celtics are still, they haven't won a playoff series with Brad Stevens yet. They don't have these proven playoff performers. I think Marcus Smart was their most impressive guy last year in their first-round loss to the Hawks. So, Again, they could ease the Bulls are so bad that this could be the series we're most off on, right up there with the Rockets yeah. and the Thunder. But I, I think Celtics. I don't think there's there's a feasible scenario in in which uh, Chicago wins this series. I, I would just be I honestly would be floored though if they did. Yeah, it would be, it would be pretty surprising. Um, Cavs Pacers is two seven, right? Yes, I'm going to say Cleveland. I'm gonna- I'm going to say Cleveland in five to interrupt you. Wow. I swear that's what I was about to say. (laughs) This is getting weird. People are kind of excited because like, oh, Paul George and LeBron James and Lance Stevenson and blah, 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 blah. Like this isn't the 2012-2013 Pacers or whatever they were. You don't have David West. You don't have the version of Roy Hibbert that was good. It was just like this team is going to get rip-rolled. The Cavs are always good enough to lose a game that we don't expect them to. Um and, and you guys, you have to hear the roofers now, right? Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> anyway, keep going. This um, is ridiculous. Um, yeah, the, I, it's just you look at Sorry, it. Sorry, I threw off your... The Pacers yeah, don't have an identity. Like, what are yeah. they? What are they? I think Paul George has been awesome for the last two months. He might have uh, just earned himself a designated player exception extension uh, over yep. those last... Because he'll probably make an all-NBA team now, maybe. I agree. I just said probably, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Um, 
Yeah, I think Paul George has been awesome. I think they have enough star power there, and I think they have enough enough good other players like Turner and Teague to get one game. But and and I think the defensive concerns for Cleveland are real. I, they've added a lot of minus defenders this season, but I'm still I'm still thinking that they have a different level that they can get to. There's there's playoff LeBron. And, Which uh, is probably enough on his own. So yeah, that part of me thinks they're just going to roll to the finals again. So I got Cleveland in five on that one. Um, three six in the East. I am actually blanking on. Do you remember what that one is off the top of your head? Raptors, Bucks, Toronto. Okay, yeah. Um, gosh, I'll say Toronto in. Don't say it. I'm going to say six. I feel like we're going to be different on this one. I have Toronto in seven. Okay, Whew. I, that's our first dead. Slight disagreement. Yeah, that's not uh, the Bucks are just scrappy, man. I don't know if playoff experience will come down to hurting them, or I, I don't know if the Raptors. We've seen Lowry and DeRozan go through these slumps, and maybe now because you have Ibaka, you have Tucker, and you have a lot of other options, maybe you're kind of slump proof. Both of them won't slump at the same time, but the Bucks mm. have been hella good since March first, uh, and I just they're gonna push Toronto in ways that I think are gonna surprise some people. I don't think the Raptors will lose, but this is gonna be a very competitive series. Like this, this series seems like it might be more competitive than four or five. Yeah, I, I could see that. I feel like Washington is comfortably better than Atlanta. I, that's probably the same way you're going. The roofers agree. <laughs> yeah, I'll say Toronto in six. Um, I like, I like that team a lot, and Kyle Lowry has looked. Uh, I would, the only thing that worried me about them was him coming back from a wrist injury. I thought it might take him a little while to find his shot, and he looks he looks fine. He looks just like he did before the injury. That's one team. If I had to pick one team that could scare Cleveland in a series, I would almost take them over Boston. I still go with Boston on that, but I see where you're going with it. The Raptors were third in defensive efficiency while Lowry was out after the All-Star break. And he's not a guy that comes back and disrupts that. He only is going to make your yep. offense better. So that's incredible. Um, four or five leaves us with Washington and Atlanta. I'll take uh, I'll take Washington in six. I can't tell if uh, I'm like yeah I'll go I'll go Washington in six too. I, the Wizards are clearly better, but what worries me is that because the Hawks' offense is terrible. But what worries me is that. The Hawks' defense could be problems in the playoffs. And the Wizards' key most guys have played so many minutes. I looked this up. Yeah. Their starting lineup, I believe, is one of the five most used lineups overall I think of it's, the last decade. I think it's number one. Oh, the last decade. I was going to say it's number one this season. Oh, yes. But uh, over the last decade, there have been like four or five lineups that have logged the more total minutes over the season. That's and, crazy. You know, as we get in April, it becomes late April and leaks into May. I'm not sure what their stamina will be like. And the defense is already sort of cratered um, since they were really hot after Christmas. So maybe the Hawks can steal a game or two. I wouldn't be – Wizards in five might have been my initial one, but I, I kind of – just after thinking about it, I think Washington in six is the pick. Uh, one thing about Atlanta, Dwight Howard is really – flown under the radar this season this is I, I was just looking at him today this is clearly his best season since orlando magic days he's been so you know much he... better than rudy gobert oh oh no <laughs> oh no do you know dwight posted a career high total rebound percentage this year i did not it's kind of crazy um and i think paul Millsap's really good i i don't really oh, do trust 
<laughs> I don't really trust Dennis Schroeder. Um, I'm kind of wishy-washy you, on Tim Hardaway, although he's been a lot better right, than Tim I thought Hardaway he would be. Tim Hardaway gets like crunch time distribution touches. Like there have been cl- like clutch situations he's, where he's leading like the offense instead of Schroeder. He's grown a lot with Coach Bud. That that staff um, in Atlanta is really good at development. Um, uh, Tabo Cephalosha, if he looks like he's healthy and that guy can lock down. Their defense is scary, and that might be enough to win them two games. And again, if you're going up against a Wizards team that isn't deep, they're not going to have Jan Mahime. He's injured again. Um, and, you know, their best bench contributors. You don't not... love Jason Smith? <laughs> He's fun to watch. Um, <laughs> Trey Burke. <laughs> yeah, right. Trey Burke can't even see the floor now. Um, <laughs> like, Brandon Jennings isn't going to tip the scales. Um, do you know what Brandon Jennings, this is like, we've spent more time on this series than I thought we would, but do you know what he's shooting as a member of the Wizards? Is it 9%? His field goal percentage in Washington is 27.4. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, 21.2 from three. Oh, man. Um, That's abysmal. And you even, so like they have Bojan Bogdanovic, who's been knocking down spots like crazy. Yeah, he, but, he was better than I thought he'd be for them. But when you put him on the court, like the defense is, just gets destroyed. Like if you replace, mm-hmm. if you put him in the lineup instead of Markeith Morris, or if you use him instead of, um, I guess you could try. You're not going to use him instead of Otto Porter because that's defensive suicide. But maybe you could use him instead of Beal and try and get minutes. At, like the defense is just a disaster. So it's just yeah, their I bench think... is going to be a big problem still, even though rotation. I shrink. agree. But all after saying all this, I still feel pretty confident that they'll win the series. Right? They are. I don't know if they'll be as big as a threat to Boston as people will expect them to be in round two, though. Yeah, that's something we'll have to dig into in a later episode. Oh, leaving it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I like it. I'm foreshadowing left and right right now. You are. You're being very ominous. I like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think we uh, we covered a lot of ground today, and it we wasn't did that cover long. a ton of ground. We uh, we went through all the awards. If you guys agree or disagree with us, feel free to shout at us at Twitter. I think we're both used to it. Um, <laughs> I'm at Andrew D Bailey. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Um, we would really appreciate a rating on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio or Stitcher. Uh, subscription at any of those sites would be cool, too. That helps kind of put us on the map if we can get some more ratings. Um, we will be back with Soon. more talk on the playoffs. Yep. Um, until then, we leave you, of course, with... A staple of this show, probably Dan's favorite aspect of the show, the shout-out to Bina Udri. You disgust me. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> in fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. 
but for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone XR with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR.